Welcome to the big picture. I'm Brett Craig. It is Tuesday morning after a long weekend. I hope you had a great weekend. Um, quick update on our show that is coming. We had a great production, and the post-production is taking longer than I thought, and that just happens sometimes in production. Lots of people with lots of commitments, and some people got sick, but it's all coming. I'm very excited about it, uh, excited about the interviews, excited about the monologues, excited about the production values of this show. I hope you uh, will tune in, and I think you really will enjoy it. And again, I, I want to bring a biblical perspective to everything we talk about uh, so I don't want to just look at cultural issues and then sort of leave you with nothing practical that you can do about them. Um, today, uh, I want to talk about the Ukraine. This is totally stepping out of my uh, area of expertise. I'm not a geopolitical foreign policy expert. I don't claim to be. But I do just want to offer some thoughts on it as just an American citizen like you. Just things that concern me about uh, the Ukraine thing and what is happening and what is taking shape there. Before I do that, I just want to talk real quickly about just closure on my last podcast, which I entitled Just Look Up. And I was talking about that it feels to me like there's a sense that we ought to look up in the sky and get distracted with silly things like UFOs. And I made the case in the last podcast that uh, that is that that is exactly what is happening. That we we never really uh, get closure on on anything that ever is t- sort of told to us that is like supposedly really important. Whether it's a stolen election in 2016, whether it's an insurrection on the Capitol, or whether it's BLM uh, movement, or just you name it, a, a COVID vaccine rollout. Uh, you know, that we're all told we have to take and we're mandated to take or we'll lose our jobs. These things come at us really, really fast. And then it feels like over time we discover that these things are kind of um, not what they were, the the pretext that they were uh, sold on or the the reasoning that we were given that we ought to believe these things are, as the media tells us, uh, they are unravels. But we never really go back and, and, and have any closure on any of these things. We never go back and really like Damar Hamlin was was the example I was using, that there's clearly something there that seems very much uh, people don't want to talk about. Uh, certainly even Damar Hamlin doesn't want to talk about it, and I played you that clip where he won't answer any questions about what actually caused the cardiac arrest. Um, and, and there's no closure on it. We just move on to the next thing, and we say, look up, look at these UFOs. Now, those UFOs I'm talking about, if you remember a week ago or a week and a half ago now, just dominated the news for almost a week. There were supposedly objects over the Yukon, objects over Lake Huron, um, maybe an object over Montana. Uh, and we were told that uh, by the media and by uh, the government that these were very uh, concerning things, so concerning that NORAD was involved uh, that, you know, that, that we had to send some, uh, F-16s or I don't know if they're F-22s or I don't know what they were, but we shot them down. (laughs) We were told that it was, you know, a pretty big deal. They had a Senate briefing on these UFOs, supposedly UAPs, whatever you want to call them, uh, in the sky. Uh, and then we even heard Senator Kennedy, the Republican, I forget his first name, telling us that we ought to lock our doors. And he, the guy's known for kind of joking around. So maybe he was joking, but he, he, it didn't come off like a joke when he said it. And my point about all this is, that was my point of that podcast, and I just want to bring closure to that, because the latest headline on that, if you don't know, um, and I just thought it's worth bringing up, the latest headline on that is, uh, U.S. calls off search for unidentified objects, it's shot down. So again, I, I think I was right, is what I'm saying here, I guess. If I think those UFOs were a massive distraction that were meant to take our eyes away from other more important things like a massive train derailment in Ohio that just spewed dioxin 
and vinyl chloride into the air. Uh, again, I don't, I'm not saying I'm an expert on whether how bad that disaster was, but it sure seemed bad, and it seemed like nobody wanted to talk about it. Um, the DeMar Hamlin thing was awfully weird. Um, and, and, and yet we're told to go look at UFOs. We're told that it's so important that we send jets up into these, uh, this airspace to shoot these things, these objects down. We're told that the Senate needs a briefing on UFOs. We're told NORAD has to be involved. And in fact, the commander of NORAD said that he couldn't rule out aliens, which is so stupid and absurd. And the media just sort of takes that answer, uh, you know, at face value. Uh, and then yet now we're told the U.S. calls off the search for unidentified objects it shot down. So it was worth all of that sort of uh, fanfare and importance, and then it's not even worth finding these UFOs that were shot down. I find that consistent with what I was saying, which is this is a massive distraction. They don't believe it themselves. If you, were, if you thought you shot down something of alien origin, I think you would spend a lot of time trying to find what you shot down. Either they know what they shot down is not worth looking for, or, um, or, or they realize they made a mistake. I don't know which. But again, they're not going back and giving us closure. To, they're just saying, we're not going to look for the UFOs we shot down. I find that to be absurd and silly and consistent with a government and a media that really is interesting, interested in distracting us. All right. Speaking of things that are maybe not distractions that seem more real. Um, I want to talk about, again, the Ukraine situation and not, I'm going to step out of my, my area of expertise. Uh, I'm just a, a American citizen like you, but I do think it is worth talking about what is happening in Ukraine. Cause it's going to affect us all. It already is affecting us all. And I just want to talk a little bit about why I am so skeptical of this war in the Ukraine and I have a number of reasons that I want to I want to talk about. But um, I've just as I've gotten older, I've gotten more skeptical uh, when I hear the war drums beating. And I don't care who's leading the administration, Republicans or Democrats, because uh, the one thing the WMD in Iraq debacle taught me, it, it really doesn't matter uh, who's leading, whether, again, it's Republicans or Democrats. There is a there is a tendency to um, want to get into wars, I think, sometimes. And I think the WMD in Iraq with George W. Bush uh, certainly taught me a lesson that, um, we, you know, at the time we were told that there was a threat from al-Qaeda and that somehow Saddam Hussein was related to that. Well, that was all bunk. The DM, WMDs were all bunk. We never found them. And we ended up in a very, very long war in Iraq and a 20-plus year war or something like that, in Afghanistan with a horrible pullout at the end, as you remember, just about a year and a half ago by the Biden administration. And again, I don't want to lay that totally on them because it was Trump that wanted to pull out of Afghanistan as well. But then the pullout was horrible and embarrassing, sad. I think a lot of people, allies were left stranded in Iraq. So I guess my point is a skepticism towards those war drums that are beating and they're beating in Iraq uh, is, is always in order. Uh, because uh, it's hard sometimes to know what the agenda uh, is on these on these wars, and I think we've been uh, led down some primrose paths, shall we say, when it comes to international conflicts, at least in my lifetime, uh, post nine eleven, especially, uh, maybe even before that, though. All right. So why am I skeptical though on Ukraine, and why do I think you should be? Uh, 
uh, a little skeptical of what is happening in the Ukraine and not just sign on for all this. Well, I think one of my first reasons is, and I, and I don't know if you, obviously you've noticed this or I'm sure you have noticed this, is it all has the same vibe of the COVID sort of um, phenomenon. Uh, and, and what I mean by that, um, it, 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 and, and I actually would add to that like BLM, uh, that's another good example. Um, the, it, it feels the vaccine, uh, the, the sort of cult that formed around COVID and the vaccine, the cult around BLM. Um, it feels like it just the idea of going to war in the Ukraine or supporting Ukraine, let's say, just has the instant approval of the masses. It, if you think about it, the moment this Ukraine thing started heating up, we started seeing the flags appearing as emojis in people's social media. Um, you know, the flags are hanging in front of houses, even here in Tennessee. I see that in some parts of the, the city here. Um, and it, it got added to the BLM flags, it, to the vaccine uh, emojis, the mask emojis, the pride flags. <laughs> Suddenly, the Ukraine flag is in there, and it just feels like it instantly is a symbol of kind of going along with the dominant narrative. Um, it had instant approval, support for Ukraine in the establishment media. It didn't even feel like you're even allowed to question this. Immediately, the Democrats are 100% in on it, which I find interesting because historically that's a party that's supposed to be a little bit uh, reluctant to go to war, at least in my lifetime, and yet it's, it feels like the war machine is cranked up on the Democrat side. There's not even a question. I don't get the sense from any of the Hollywood kind of liberal establishment that there's any caution around entering into this Ukraine conflict. Everybody's for it. Every You got Sean Penn going over to the Ukraine. You, you know, you just see such fervor for war on the left, which is really weird. And then on the right, I, I think the Republicans uh, too share the sort of blind support of Ukraine. When you look at Mitch McConnell, you look at uh, most of them. Most of the establishment Republicans are all in on this war. They're just ready to go. And it doesn't seem like there's any... Uh, skepticism, let's say, in the Republican Party on the whole. There are some skeptics, the usuals, uh, but, you know. So there's this feeling that, that you should just be on board with this Ukraine conflict and that anything less than full support of it means you are maybe uh, anti-American, you are uh, pro-Putin, you're maybe even, a, I'll even say like a treasonous, somebody who's uh, disloyal to America. And that, that makes me skeptical. Right there, that the kind of demonizing of people, excuse me one second, <coughs> the demonizing of people that um, don't agree with the rush to war in Ukraine or have questions, let's just say, um, and the, you don't feel like you're allowed to ask the questions and you're demonized if you do. Uh, another thing that makes me skeptical about the Ukraine that I just think is worth bringing out, Victoria Newland. Um, was questioned by Marco Rubio uh, in a Senate hearing about the fact that there are biolabs in Ukraine. And apparently it sounds like they're related to, to the West in some way, maybe NATO or America. And I don't think there's any denial that these biolabs exist, what their purpose is. I'm not saying I know. I'm not saying I, I know anything <laughs> about that. But I do think it's it's interesting to know that those are there and that there is concern that they could fall into the hands of, of Putin Um the exchange between Marco Rubio and Victoria Newland basically centered around the idea that if a, a, a virus were to get out of those labs or some kind of contagion, that would definitely be the Russians' fault. 
And there seemed to be some concern over those biolabs. So there's there's these biolabs there. What the purpose of them are, I don't know. It just means that, like, that's a factor somehow in driving motivations here, uh, maybe on both sides uh, of the conflict. And I'm not saying I know exactly what role those things play, but it's just a factor to know that that we're doing work in labs, biolabs, over in Ukraine, apparently. And that there's dangerous enough stuff in there that if it were to fall into the Russians' hands... Um, it could be problematic, according to Victoria Newland and Marco, Marco Rubio seemed to concur or at least was satisfied with her answer. But I'm just pointing that out, that it is just an interesting thing to know that that's there. There's also the whole Burisma scandal with Hunter Biden. This is another thing that makes me skeptical. This is how I think Hunter is, uh, enriched himself. I think he's on the board of Burisma, providing no talent, no anything uh, except for probably access to his father, which is well-established at this point. It's no doubt. I mean, Hunter used to fly around on Air Force Two, follow his dad everywhere he went, and they cut deals, and then he enriches the big big, big dad with a, with a percentage. He gets rich and can go on cocaine binges and, and uh, chase hookers. I hate to say it, but that's what it looks like from the Hunter Biden laptop and everything. And, he, you know, selling access to his father. But that's what the Burisma deal was about. Hunter offered nothing in terms of expertise to Burisma that I understand. He's just on the board, collects a, I think, a sizable amount of money. I forget what it was, but it was, you know, 50 to 100,000 a month. I don't know. It was a lot. So there's weird deals happening over there uh, between our administration, the current administration and uh, businesses. So it just brings in another part of my skepticism of just like what what is going on inside of that kind of country from biolabs to crooked business deals that are connected right to the current administration um and then remember don't forget the phone call with trump in which he was impeached um was over uh was a ukraine phone call it was the the state department uh, listening in on trump's uh, phone call. And again, I don't want to get into d- depth about that. Maybe maybe what Trump did. I know a lot of people felt he, he didn't handle that call well. I'm not defending the call or attacking Trump uh, or defending him either. Um, but he was in, it was a second impeachment, if you remember. But it was to do with the Ukraine. And, a, and, a, and, a, and, and so there's just a lot of weird stuff around this one country um, that seems to be directly connected to our administrations, both this one and the one before it. Um, and those biolabs, it all just brings in some sense that uh, there's, this is a very uh, interesting country that seems to have an outsized influence and connections into Washington, which just makes me skeptical of exactly what our intentions or what we're doing there. Another thing that makes me skeptical is this demonization of Vladimir Putin. And when I say that, I am not defending Vladimir Putin. I want to make that clear. I'm not saying the guy is a good guy. Uh, when we look at our world leaders, including our own in America, uh, good guy is a hard thing to say about anybody, right? It's hard to know uh, the heart of these various leaders. And I and I know that uh, Vladimir Putin is ex-KGB. But when I say de- demonization of Putin, what I'm talking about is that we have, there has been a steady drumbeat of media telling us that Vladimir Putin is the very worst man that ever lived. Uh, and, 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 and this started, you know, I feel like in 2016 when we were told he stole the election with Trump. Um, and we were told that over and over and over. I've never heard a man's name more often than Putin, 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 Putin. I mean, Hillary Clinton says Putin stole it. Um, we went on and on and on. So this demonization of, of Vladimir Putin, it began in 2016 in earnest and got louder and louder and louder. And it just brings 
a little bit of that skepticism again into it when the establishment media is telling me I ought to think somebody is the worst person in the world, like Saddam Hussein back in the day with Iraq, and that he probably has WMD and he's going to kill us all with it. I am now very skeptical of things like that. It does not mean that Putin is a good guy. It, it, both things could be true, right? Putin could be a very, very bad guy. Uh, and But at the same time, also, I'm skeptical of narratives from the establishment media making it sound like he is the worst human being ever to live. He's Hitler, yada, yada, yada. Because then I start to wonder if you're manipulating me for some reason. And now that we're in a big war supporting Ukraine, it seems uh, blindly supporting them, I, against Vladimir Putin, I start to wonder if uh, the sort of strings are being pulled, narrative, narrative strings are being pulled and people were sort of being brought along to enter a war like this against Putin. Um, and by the way, again, I would make it clear, don't defend Putin. I see all those hunting photos of him where he's taking down tigers and the dude's a macho man that, you know, looks to me like he, it's all a lot of fake propaganda and tough guy act, um, KGB, you know, all, all the backgrounds. I, you know, I've seen videos of what look like assassinations of rivals to Putin. He, this guy is a dangerous leader. Um, and so I'm not defending him, but I just think the demonization went on overdrive starting in 2016, and now we're in a war against him. So I just find that interesting, and there might, there, there might be a connection there. Again, a narrative connection. It feels like we're being led along to hate one man because it sort of helps achieve an objective, which is the elimination and the removal of Vladimir Putin. Um, and maybe he should be removed, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I wonder sometimes. That conversely, another reason I'm skeptical of this war is the lionization of Zelensky and his wife. Um, Zelensky, I mean, he is just, I mean, he's like a celebrity. I mean, they just love him uh, in the media. They love him in Hollywood. Uh, I don't know if you remember, they went and sent out Annie Leibovitz to shoot him and his wife uh, for like a cover. I don't know if it was Vogue or what, what, what magazine they were in. But it was a very beautiful shot by Annie Leibovitz, great photographer. But just this lionization of Zelensky, he's always looking sort of like Fidel Castro <laughs> with his like T-shirt and his fatigues. Celebrities in Hollywood fawning over him. Everybody in the administration fallen, fallen, uh, sort of fawning all over Zelensky. And to me, again, just the whole feeling of it feels curated, feels like acting. And of course, Zelensky is an actor. He's a form, he's that's where he comes from. He's an actor. If you didn't know that, he is. And and I will say the 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 idea that it feels curated, feels like acting, feels like Zelensky's being positioned all the time as some kind of hero of the people, which is the opposite of what Vladimir Putin's being uh, sort of positioned as. That, that's propaganda, right? Like, we, we should expect that in war. I think we, we, we expect propaganda. I'm a, I'm a guy in advertising, so I guess I did propaganda for a living. Uh, certainly, Zelensky is positioning himself to the public, to his own people, to us. Uh, and, 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 and so that's to be expected to, to, you know, to a certain degree for sure. But there's something about it that just all feels kind of fake and makes me wonder. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, again, this this sort of black and white presentation of two leaders in which there is probably a lot more nuance, a lot more corruption in Ukraine than we're being led to believe, a lot more questions around Zelensky that we probably ought to be asking. Um, and I don't know if you've seen, and I'm going to play it for a second. I want you to just kind of hear it. The Zelensky High Heels music video. I'm going to play a little bit of that video, and I'll just kind of have it go in the background as I talk. 
But it's he's dancing in these like this is Lenski. I don't know when it was shot. I think it might have been back in the early 2010s. He's dancing in leather tight uh, outfit, um, really open uh, back on on the outfit, the leather outfit. He's wearing really high stiletto heels. Um, it's it's a pretty interesting video. I read up on it because I wanted to understand what he was doing in that video. It would it, it certainly doesn't look like a leader of a country that you would. It certainly. Let's put it this way. It's 180 degrees from the Zelensky you're being presented right now. I'm going to include a link in this post so you can see the video. I'll let you judge for yourself. And I read a Newsweek article on it. And it was really interesting because the Newsweek article tried to act like it was kind of tongue in cheek. But it kind of tries to have it both ways, this video. Because uh, it, it also sort of, li- again, lionizes Zelensky for this rather interesting, effeminate, uh, uh, shall I say, even gay feeling video? I mean, just being honest, that's what it feels like. Um, it's like a Beyonce style dance. And, and, and so one of the quotes in the Newsweek article, because the Newsweek article generally tries to say that this video is nothing to, 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 to spend much time on. It just shows um, some funny parody that he did. But it feels quite serious, not like parody, not like he's being funny. Like this was really, it, all, it feels to me like what, what somebody does in Hollywood when they're trying to make it. Like before they made it, it turns out they tried to be in some racy video that they thought would get them attention. Uh, and it feels like that's what Vladimir Zelensky is doing here. And in fact, one of the the comments in the Newsweek article uh, by a guy named Next Effing Level on Reddit, and then it also has the subhead of the raging homosexual, was Vladimir Zelensky did a Beyonce-style dance in leather pants and heels. This man is a legend, and he's now fighting for his country. So the article kind of tries to have it both ways in Newsweek, that on one hand, this is just a silly video. Don't pay attention to it. On the other hand, it seems to be saying it's super cool that he did this very salacious video. So I I don't know. I I just find the whole Zelensky thing, the actor thing, the the, the sort of Fidel Castro or whatever you want to call that sort of man of the people – um, with the khakis and the um, military fatigues walking around feels like acting to me. And that video is so weird. Um, you got to watch it and just you make your own decision of like, what do you, what is up with that guy? Um, and then also just to, worth pointing out, I think Tucker, Tucker Carlson covered this last night, uh, which I thought was, and he's covered this before, ban, he's banned the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. It's a Christian church. Um, there's been searches and seizures. Uh, I think initially he had, he even said when he got elected in 2019, Zelensky said he wasn't going to go near that church. And it was all about the freedom of the church. But this Christian church has been banned. The Ukrainian Orthodox Church, I think Zelensky sees them as a threat because of old ties with Russia. But nobody, it doesn't seem like it's very um, substantiated, that concern that Zelensky has. So he's banned a church. Uh in the Ukraine and kind of a dictatorial thing to do, a scary thing to do. And of course the Biden administration is silent. The West is silent. We don't seem to care about any of it. So skepticism around the demonization of Putin and the lionization of Zelensky and their lack of nuance in talking about those two characters makes me skeptical of this war. I think another thing is a lack of interest uh, that makes me skeptical. Another thing that makes me skeptical right now is our lack of interest in sort of our homegrown disasters and problems that are so concerning right now. And I, when I say that, I mean Ohio 
the train derailment. It did. It felt like it wasn't important. Uh, I think Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, <laughs> it's hard to say his name. I think he's finally getting around to talking about it, but it largely feels like nobody cared about that. It was a big, it seemed like a big problem of, of which the, the sort of uh, fallout from that, literally, not metaphorically, is totally, not totally understood. What the, got in the river, um, that, that big mushroom cloud that went up, I mean, did it have an effect on people? It didn't seem like anybody wanted to talk about that. It was kind of, seemed like a bigger deal, a bigger environmental disaster than we were uh, giving it credit, credit for being. I think around the, the vaccine problems, which are obvious now, uh, the DeMar Hamlin story being one of the great ways to, to sort of bring that forward. And uh, we notice that there's an issue with this thing. There's an issue with big pharma overly influencing our government's uh, vaccine policy around COVID, the handling of COVID. Uh, you know, these are all big problems that we had here. Homelessness in America, fentanyl crises, a border uh, in which 5 million immigrants have come over since um, Biden took, uh, took power and, and an unseriousness about sealing it up or having any process, let's say, of how to come into the United States in a way that would indicate that we have any seriousness around um, protecting our national sovereignty, not, not because we want to stop Mexican people from coming in or whoever's coming in, because it's not just Mexican people. It's anybody from the Southern Hemisphere and even people flying in from other countries and then coming over the border. If we really care about those people, I think you need to have a process. If we care about our own people uh, supporting our own working class here in America, we want to make sure that we have a process uh, for bringing people in and uh, assimilating them and and, and just giving them the proper uh, everything that they need to be successful here. We need a process and we have no process. Five million people just coming into the United States and just getting lost inside the United States unaccounted for. I don't think a nation can survive if it continues down that road Uh, at that level of um, sort of people flooding in and and, and no attempt at all to to create a process. I think we need one. And so this lack of interest in our homegrown disasters, homelessness, all these things, drugs, you know, our cities seem to be falling apart. And, and, but then we have this incredible interest in going overseas and, and, and uh, getting into a conflict that seems to be escalating worse and worse every second also makes me skeptical. Another thing that makes me skeptical about the Ukraine war is the navel gazing going on inside of our own country around really silly things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, pronouns, what, you know, uh, climate change obsession, uh, racist roads, Pete Buttigieg talking about racist roads, uh, equity czars, the, Joe Biden just signed a executive order about putting equity czars inside of the executive branch of our government, which means essentially communism, essentially somebody saying we're going to award jobs based on skin color and sex. These are, these are navel-gazing projects to me that are uh, indicative of an unserious country an unserious administration. Um, I've never seen our country feel less serious. These are very like, uh, like again, navel gazing, very much uh, staring at our belly buttons uh, when there are really, really big problems, I think, facing the country that we all can feel, but we're caught up in gender diversity and, and beaming pride flags on the West, the, 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 the White House. And, we, and this is what has captured our attention. So when that's happening, I get skeptical of getting into a conflict with somebody like Vladimir Putin and President Xi of the CCP in China, who, between the two of them, control 94% of the nuclear arsenal of the world. 
Uh, and they also control a good deal of the world's essential commodities like oil, gold, natural gas, coal. Um, they've already integrated their economies since they've seen us begin to shut them out of the banking system. Russia has been shut out of the banking system. Big car companies like Ford and others have pulled out of Russia. Most companies are not doing business in Russia. So we've kind of divested from Russia. Okay. But they're now investing with China and vice versa. And that means you put together two massive world powers. Um, and, and so, you know, it, meanwhile, we're talking about pronouns and whether we should have drag queen story hour. This makes me skeptical of entering into this because I feel like we're entering into it in a time in American history where we're very, very inward looking um, in the worst kind of way, like not inward looking about anything important, but about silly things. And I look at them and I don't see silliness in those regimes. I may think they're bad and I definitely do. I think President Xi and the communist CCP regime is a terrible regime uh, that that deprives their own people of human rights. I think Putin is obviously a bad guy too, Uh, but I, but I see them as serious at least. And I look at ourselves and I don't think were very serious. Uh, Here is what, uh, in reflection of that a little bit, what Tulsi Gabbard tweeted just this morning, I thought was an interesting tweet from Tulsi. She says this, the warmongers are trying to drag us into World War III, which can only end in one way, nuclear annihilation, and the suffering and death of all our loved ones. Zelensky, Biden, NATO, congressional and media neocons are insane. And we are insane if we passively allow us to lead us into this. Um, yeah, I, I think she's, that's what I'm talking about here is it feels like the level of seriousness is not there. If nuclear annihilation is what's on the table and why, why isn't it on the table? Of course it's on the table. We seem to be blithely entering into this in a weird state of mind with a sense of, uh, in, escalation towards it with a lack of thought, with a lack of wisdom, with a lack of slowing down. And it just feels it's too blithe. It's too casual for something this big. We don't feel serious enough, enough about it. We don't seem to be questioning about it enough, interrogating it enough. This is a big, big idea, a big, big campaign, a big issue. We should slow down and really interrogate our intentions, interrogate what we plan to get out of this. Um, before we continue to escalate. And and I say escalate because, I, I again, I'm not a geopolitical foreign policy expert, but my understanding is there's been times where there might have been a sit-down between Zelensky and Putin, but there's very much this sense coming from the West, I think, that we don't really want to sit down with Putin. We just want his removal, which, again, maybe even that's good. But is it is it logistically probable? Is it... Um, the best idea, given what's starting to happen, if we force China into Russia's corner, is that a, an outcome we would want? I don't know. I'm just asking questions here, and it doesn't feel like anybody's asking questions. Another thing I think it's worth checking out, and you can look this up online. <laughs> I'll put a few links in my uh, on this post. Is all the Nazi saluting and weird Nazi symbolism attached to some members of the Ukrainian army, the Azov Battalion in particular, Um, and I'm not going to go deep into this. I'll give you the links. You can see them for yourself, but this has been traveling around for the last six months on the internet that there is a Nazi contingent inside of the Ukrainian army. And you might say, well, um, one, I don't believe it. Well, then you look at it for yourself as the Azov battalion, look it up. There is a 
absolute Nazi history in Ukraine. So that's not even a question. You can go back. You can see that um, the, the basic story of the Ukraine, from my understanding historically, is that when Hitler penetrated into Russia, which was what led to Hit- Hitler's demise in World War II, he made a mistake of fighting the Russians who dug in during the middle of winter. When they came through the Ukraine, Ukraine's story on the Nazis was this. When they thought Hitler was going to win, they were on the Nazi side. And they committed atrocities and killed Jews, just like so many other countries in Europe. Uh, I'd have to look up the exact uh, purges, but um, there were thousands and thousands of Jews slaughtered by the Ukrainians. So this is historically a reality in, in the Ukraine. And then when they perceived that Russia was going to win, my understanding is that the Ukrainians switched sides and joined Stalin's uh, Russia. So there is a Nazi history in the Ukraine. There is a Nazi remnant inside the Ukraine. You can look at these videos. You can look at the Azov Battalion, make your own decisions. But if there, if that's true, and I just ask you to keep an open mind and take a look if that's true. <clears throat> can you imagine in the U.S. military if we had a Nazi remnant inside of it somewhere? Would we tolerate that for five seconds? If there is a Nazi remnant inside of the Ukrainian army in this Azov Battalion, does that not give us slight pause about this just at all? I mean, or, or is it my enemy's enemy is my friend? Um, meaning if our enemy is Vladimir Putin, perhaps if Nazis oppose him, we're with the Nazis, I suppose, in this case. I, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just bringing it up. It's another thing that makes me skeptical. All right. And then another set of quick issue that makes me skeptical about the Ukraine war, that crisis I feel like is being used over and over again now in the West for pretext for control. Uh, And I'll just rip through this real quick. COVID uh, led to greater control, right? It led to censorship, lockdowns, uh, the idea of vaccine passports, which is still being floated by the WHO. It led to uh, loss of bodily autonomy with a mandated vax. So that crisis is a great example of a pretext for control. And I think my worry is, is that the Ukraine can be used just the same way, right? Nothing like a big war to tell you that your rights are restricted, your speech rights are restricted. Um, you have to change the way you live because we're at war and, you know, we're in World War Three, let's say. And um, it's a pretext for control. And I think BLM was something like that, right? It became the pretext for control at work uh, via DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, will install these bureaucracies inside of corporations, inside of the executive branch, like Biden just did a few days ago, and we'll we'll control your speech, right? That's partly what um, DEI does. It compels your speech. It controls your speech. uh, it, It installs a bureaucracy that then tells you who gets what jobs. Um, So BLM became a pretext for massive control and changes inside of corporations and inside of the government, and that's still ongoing. Uh, the insurrection is another good example. Um, it, that was the reason we were given that pl- Trump needed to be deplatformed off Twitter, off Facebook, because there was an insurrection, that story, and so then there's this pretext for control. We saw the, the gates go up around the Capitol, eight-foot-high gates. We saw the military descend on the Capitol, 25,000 National Guard, and anyone who questioned the election at that point was a treasonist. Uh, was the sense. So I just, these crises that keep happening feel like a pretext for control. And so I have some skepticism again about the Ukraine. When we're in a pattern like that, I worry a little bit that the Ukraine becomes the next crisis for which we can, you know, talk about uh, 
rationing your use of fossil fuels or and, and maybe all that is needed if we are in a war like that. I just wonder about uh, are, are, are there going to be free speech crackdowns? Are we going to call everybody a treasonous that questions the war? I worry that this is the next crisis for control. And I guess finally just wrapping up here. Those are some of my concerns about the Ukraine. And I, again, fully admit I'm not Victor Davis Hanson. I'm not uh, the Hoover Institute. I'm not, I'm not uh, as smart as some of the uh, smart folks out there that understand foreign policy and geopolitical uh, conflicts. But I, I just wanted to express as an American citizen why I'm concerned about this Ukrainian escalation that is happening, this sudden talk of China and Russia joining forces it feels to me that this could get out of control real fast. It, you know, it hit me like Zelensky reminds me of like the girlfriend uh, at the bar or in college that uh, prods her boyfriend to get into a fight, knowing that, uh, that it's good. you know what I mean? Not really concerned that where that fight could go. I just, I don't know. He just feels like he's a cheerleader to get everybody in the West involved in this war and escalate it. Uh, and I just worry sometimes that that dynamic is not healthy. Um, and so I want, like, I, I always tell you guys, I never want to leave one of these things without some hope, without some biblical perspective on this. And, and I think this one's a tricky one because there's nothing about the Ukraine and the Bible and there's nothing about, uh, these particular wars, whether we're talking about Vietnam or U- WMD in Iraq or whatever we're talking about. But I do think there's a biblical application here that is worth discussing. And this starts with a little bit of a story of my uncle back in the day, uh, my uncle Curtis passed away. Good, strong Christian man uh, that I really respected uh, in my family. And I remember one day when George Bush was president, we were about to invade Iraq. I was all gung ho, a young American man, patriotic, thought that this was a good idea that we rush into uh, Iraq. And I remember my uncle surprised me so much and just turned to me and goes, Why in the world would you think we should do that? And I'm like, What do you mean? Well, there's WMD and Iraq and Al-Qaeda and all the stories we were being told by the establishment media. He's like, what makes you think we have a right to go in there, my uncle said, and topple this man from power? What is it that gives America that right? And I remember it just shocked me that Kurt said that, uh, my uncle. And, and as time has gone on in my life, I look back and who was right? Well, it was my uncle Kurt. He was absolutely right. There were no WMD there in the end. And I know now what Kurt was saying, you know, and there is a biblical aspect to this and a a biblical principle that I think is important to know about international conflicts and authority in general. And it's this Romans 13, one, just as something to consider. It's this notion that God appoints authority. Let's listen real quick. Let every person, right? All of us be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority from except from God. Let me repeat that for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So what is Romans 13 one saying? What's apostle Paul saying? He's saying when you deal with authority, you under, you need to have an understanding that God has appointed authority. That's a really interesting thing to think about, right? That even in our own government, when we get frustrated with our government, well, God has appointed that authority. Uh, You may not like Joe Biden as the president of the United States, but he is the president of the United States. We need to be uh, somewhat careful as we approach our opposition, if you don't like Joe Biden and how you do that, um, because it it is saying that Joe Biden's appointed. Uh, Before that, Donald Trump was appointed. Before that, Barack Obama was appointed. And so it's very easy for us to um, not like the leader that's been put in power 
or arrive, you know, ended up in power and then take a tone with them or uh, derision, mockery to the point where um, we're forgetting that, well, God institutes authority. And that is true in foreign countries too, right? If all authority has been appointed by God, and this is a tough thing to deal with if, if we think through this, um, then that means Saddam Hussein was appointed uh, as a ruler over Iraq. Uh, that President Xi is the appointed leader of China and Vladimir Putin is the appointed leader of Russia and Zelensky is the appointed leader of Ukraine at this moment in time. What does that mean? Do we support evil rulers then because they're appointed by God? This is one of those tricky parts about uh, God's economy that I don't know that there's a hard and fast answer. I don't think we can look away at evil, right? We can't say, well, Hitler was allowed to assume power in Germany. Therefore, we just let him do whatever he wants. No, but I do think this. I do think what God is saying there and what Apostle Paul is pointing to there is we need to have tremendous caution and discretion when we engage in toppling dictators, when we enter the world stage and start playing kingmaker, uh, taking people out, assassinating people. Um, There's a temptation for any empire to begin to do that. Empire build, uh, think we know better who should be in a particular spot. And, And so I just, to me, I think what my uncle Kurt was teaching me about the WMD in Iraq story and the foolishness of entering into that war, which went on for another 15 years, or I don't know how many and how many people were dead, thousands of servicemen, uh, trillions of dollars, or a trillion dollars, I think it was, something like that. Um, that it was was not it was done on a false uh, premise, and what replaced Saddam was ISIS, if you remember, and then there was beheadings and horrible, horrible persecution of Iraq, Iraqi Christians. Um, and even moderate Muslims. Uh, so we have to be very careful when we get involved in these things. That's the point. If God appoints authority, we should be very judicious, very prayerful, very cautious when we enter into foreign entanglements. And I don't think our country's doing that right now. I don't think our country's so far from God. We're so far from humbling ourselves and slowing down and appealing to the Creator for judiciousness, caution, prudence. I don't see that in, in this administration. I don't see it in a lot of Republican administrations. I, I, so it's not about beating up just on this one, the Democrat administration. It's about our government in general. The war machine, the war drums begin to fire up, and it feels like we rush in with not a lot of thought, not a lot of prayer, not a lot of wisdom, not a lot of humility, and we begin to break things in the world. And in this case, it feels like that's happening again. Feels like we're in a rush to escalate a war rather than de-escalate, right? Which I think, in all t- times, I think you know we ought to be trying to de-escalate uh, as much as we can. And you know, with someone like a Hitler, you can't, right? At a certain point, he wants war. We're going to have to give it to him. Um, but I think we are rushing into this one. That's my feeling. That's what it feels like to me, and that is scary. I actually uh, said this today on Twitter. You know, sometimes I notice tweets get noticed uh, more than others because they're tapping a sentiment out there. I just said this. I said the collision of world powers in the Ukraine feels like the kind of situation that happens when very unwise, unserious people encounter very serious ones. They're prone to misjudge what's about to happen next. I was just pointing out that I think we're entering into a kind of a situation that happens when you're not being prayerful, not being judicious, not slowing down, not being serious about the table stakes, what is actually uh, on 
what is actually potentially going to unfold next. And, and I think that we enter in a very, uh, into that in a very unwise place and we misjudge what could happen when we blithely stride into World War III. So just to finish up here, I think it's just something to remember as we think about authority in our lives, even as Christians. And even if you're not, you know, not a Christian, I still, you know, that authorities are there for a reason. We need them. They are. And as Christians, we believe they're appointed by God. So there's some method to the madness the creator has in putting people where he puts them. Uh, We may not like these flawed leaders. We may not like these evil leaders in some cases. um, But we ought to be really careful when we start to move chess pieces on the the world stage. And I think I've learned that in my life watching these wars play out. And that's why I have a lot of skepticism about what's happening in the Ukraine. Um, So, but I think the final thing is just to pray for wisdom for our leaders. I think it's so easy when we don't like the administration that we see. Uh, If you were a a Trump fan, you, you, you liked Trump and maybe you found yourself praying, praying for him because he fit what you think our leadership should look like. And that would be the case for me. I think Trump, though he had a ton of flaws and I don't like a lot of the things that he did, his policies, I, I guess I would say, were consistent with what I believed. And so I, I would pray for a guy like Trump. I'd pray for that administration. But I think we need to pray for the Biden administration. Um, whether, we, whether you agree with them or don't agree with them, they need wisdom. Wisdom because there is so much at stake in the world, including a potential for nuclear a nuclear exchange. And I know people don't want to think that could happen, but it could happen. So we want our administration and we want the American government to have wisdom and we should pray for that. And that is going to be my prayer for Joe Biden and this current administration. And I think it should be for all of us. Well, thank you for joining the big picture today. Uh, those are just my uh, peanut gallery thoughts on a geopolitical foreign policy entanglement that actually feels like something very volatile could happen. And Um, I just thought I'd share that with you guys today, Uh, and uh, I'll put some links in there so you can, I'll back up some of the things I say. You can make your own decisions whether you think I've got them correct, some of these things about Zelensky and other things like that. But I hope you guys have a great Tuesday. I will talk to you soon. My name is Brett Craig, and that is The Big Picture. See you guys soon.